Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. If the scripture was to speak out and as it has spoken out to people throughout history, the book of Romans has probably spoken more clearly to so many people than many other books. And chapter 8 has been the gem of the book itself. Donald Gray Barnhouse in his commentary said that if your Bible were to happen to fall open, that it should open to Romans chapter 8 just because of the constant wear of that book opening. It is that precious that it should be something that we commit to our lives and to our hearts. It is something that is that powerful. From chapters 1 through 7, we've seen the mention of the Holy Spirit five times in all. And in chapter 8, we see the Spirit is mentioned 14 times just in this chapter. Chapter 8 is said to be the, the Pentecost of the book of Romans. It is the, the turning point. It is where the book hinges and the door opens and we are set free. And we need to be set free. It is something we all need. Let's read verses 1 through 4. Remember, too, that I am going to be reading the New International Version, but as I mentioned before, the term sinful nature, I do not care for that. I'm going to insert the word the flesh Instead, I believe it is more accurate. I talked about this Sunday. We do not have a, a split nature. We are not bipolar natures. We've been given a new nature in Christ. I believe the translators were trying to give us insight, but I believe they erred. And that's, again, not my opinion. It's that of many commentaries and many translations as well. But I'm going to use the word the flesh where I see the word sinful nature, just so you know. What, what translation are you reading? It's the New International Version, but I'm switching those words. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by the, sin, by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering and so condemn sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. The first word is key. Therefore, always tell, makes us ask, what is it therefore? And, and this therefore is referring to basically a number of things that have taken place that Paul has presented in the first chapters. 
it's kind of a, the hinges of a door that this next chapter is hanging on. One of the things, it's because we have been justified by God. That we have been made right in the sight of God by Jesus Christ. That's one of the hinges that he's talked about and he's presented clearly in chapter 3. It's also because we have been joined to Christ, that we have died but have been made alive to Jesus or with Jesus Christ, and he made that clear in chapter 6. And third of all, you could say that because our identification is now with Jesus Christ, and we saw that in chapter 7, that we are dead to ourselves but alive to Christ, that it is no longer me that lives, but Christ in me, that the sin that I dwell that dwells in this flesh, I can reckon dead, but I am alive thanks to Jesus Christ. I identify with Jesus Christ. And that is what the word therefore is there for. Because of this, because of these things, because we have been justified by Jesus, because we are identified with Jesus, because we have connected to him and been reconciled with him. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We need to look at the words that he presents here because one of the things that's mentioned here is the word, there is now no condemnation. And the word now can mean a number of things. And there's two things that I believe it connects to in regards to what Paul is talking about here. And, and I'm going to give you a little example. Say your kids, are, their birthday is next week, and their grandparents sends a gift over to them and says, this is for your birthday. Wait until your birthday, and then you can open it. And so for one week... The child is staring at the box that's brightly wrapped. And they say, can I open it now? <laughs> no, not yet. You have to wait till your birthday. Can I open it now? No, you have to wait. Can I, can I open it now? They're, they're wanting to know when. And finally that day comes and you can say, now. You can open it now. The, the time has come. And we can see that because in verse 3, Paul says, for what the law was powerless to do, the law was something that was there before them, behind them, in the past. It was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be the sin offering. And so he condemned, there's the word again, he condemned sin in the flesh. Now, now that Jesus has come, now. Now there is no condemnation. When? When Jesus came. It, it was the birthday. It was the day. It was the moment. It was when the veil was rent from top to bottom. God said, now there is no condemnation. Before that time, you were saying, is it now? Is there no condemnation now? No, you got to wait. You got to wait. Jesus came now. And why? Because Jesus dealt with the condemnation. And we'll talk about that a little bit further. Now, there's another way that now can be used. Say you're still 
the same person and your, your parents send you an envelope. And in the envelope is a check for $20,000. And they say, you know, we have an inheritance for you. We've been wanting to give it to you, but uh, I know that you need the money now. In other words, even though it's not yet the time that you would get your inheritance, in other words, I'm still alive and kicking, uh, but I want you to have the inheritance now. And that's another way that it's used, and we can see that more clearly in verses where is it? Verses 33 and 34. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies, who is he who is he that condemns Christ Jesus who died more than that who has raised been raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us in other words the inheritance that was promised is now given to us now and so God sees it from these two terms waiting for that time but in both terms it is something that takes place presently now that's why it's there. It's there to say, you need to sit down, man. It's, it's there now. That's why it's there. It's because God has done something. He has fulfilled it in Jesus Christ. The time is now. God has given us our inheritance. Now there is now no condemnation. It's something that God promised. We've been waiting for when Jesus came came now. It's something that God has an inheritance for us that he gives to us now. Now, why is now so important? It's important because you and I need to recognize that God is giving this and has this for us right now. The word is important because we have this tendency to think, well, one day when I die, then I'll be free from this. Oh, you know, if only I could get to this place in my life, then I will have no condemnation. And we think of condemnation and getting freed from it, out from under it as something that we have to get to that place. And God says, no, it's now. But I don't feel forgiven. I, I, I still feel condemned. Well, you know, it's been taken care of. And it's yours. Your freedom has been given to you right now. And this is the essence of Christianity. This is the gospel message. This is the good news. This is why Jesus came. John 3, 16 and 17. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his 
one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. God's purpose and Jesus' coming was that the world would not be condemned. Remember when Jesus was there and the Pharisees brought the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. And they wanted to know what they should do with her because the law of Moses says that she should be stoned. What should we do? What do you say? And he didn't answer them. He just stooped and wrote on the ground. And they pressed him even more. And he stood up and he says, He who is without sin, let them cast the first stone. And from oldest to youngest, they all walked away. And when they had all left, he looked at the woman and he said, Woman, where are your accusers? Does anyone condemn you? And she says, No. And he says, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. God manifested in the flesh, standing before a sinful woman says, I don't condemn you. I didn't come to condemn you. I came that you would not be condemned. And that time is now. That's the gospel. You know, the world wants to make Christianity something. It wants to make it something about social development. How, what are you doing for the poor? What are you doing you know, for the needs of the people? What are you doing to help those who are you know, dealing with this situation of economic crisis? What are you doing with those who are in this situation of health conditions? What are you doing to help them? Those are all good things, but that is not the gospel. And that is minimizing what the gospel really is. This is the gospel, is that God is not condemning you. That God can bring you into a relationship with him that you are not condemned. That is the gospel. You see, you can live for 80 plus years and endure sickness and, and health and struggles and, and infirmities and poverty and hardship, and betrayal, and all those things. And for 80 years, you just live a difficult, difficult life. But if 80 million ages after that, you enjoy the relationship with the Heavenly Father that you are not condemned, it doesn't compare. And that is the gospel. That's why Jesus came. It wasn't to make our life easier. It wasn't so that we could just help these people or do this good stuff. It was that the condemnation of God would not be upon us. That's the good news. That's what Jesus is about. And if we don't embrace this now, we are missing the heart of the gospel. And if we are thinking, well, I'm not worthy, I need to do something, I, it can't be that easy, I have to do something else, 
what is necessary here? Because he's saying that it's something that happens now, but he's also saying who it happens to. Now there is no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus. What do we have to do to be in Christ Jesus? Well, he's already told us. Those are the hinges that we talked about. We have faith in him. We are justified by faith. We put our trust in God. We identify with Jesus that we are, are dead to sin but alive in God, that we are hid in Christ, that we are no longer ourselves. We recognize our condition and plead to God saying, I am without hope, without you. Forgive me. And God says, bam, it's credited to you as righteousness. You trust the work of my son, then I will give what you don't deserve, righteousness to you. And it's important that we recognize that that's what it means to be justified. That it, God does not justify people who are righteous. It's people who are sinners. It's in our wickedness that we were justified. It was in our sinful conditions that we were brought before God. Not because we were good, but because we weren't good. J.B. Phillips' translation says, No condemnation now hangs over the head of those who are in Jesus Christ. I love that. I love that. It's not an axe waiting to fall. And I wonder how many of those who are in Christ Jesus still have the feeling of the axe is waiting to fall. If I blow this one more time, I'm gone. And Paul is saying, you are not condemned if you are in Christ Jesus. Today I, I ate a chicken salad with avocados. It's good. You, you don't see it, but it's in me. You might see the effects of it, but it's in me. And you see, when God looks at us, if we are in Jesus Christ, he doesn't see us. He doesn't see our condition. He sees Jesus Christ. We are in him. Just like you don't see the chicken salad, it's in me. God doesn't see you if you are in Jesus Christ. That is very important. Because though he knows me, he sees me as in Jesus Christ. Now, some translations will say right after that, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. The newer translations don't have that. Don't freak out. It's in verse 4. And so it shows up there anyway. I believe that there is something in us that wants to make sure that we don't get away with things, that we just keep wanting to press those things that it might have been noted in there, but it, it's still a principle that is going to apply as we're going to get to it further on. But we want to look at condemnation and, and see 
how does this work in our lives? How, how can there be condemnation or no condemnation for those who've been justified? I mean, justification declares that an ungodly person to be perfect while they're still ungodly. And that's something that we have a hard time getting our minds around, especially because we're the ungodly people. We have the knowledge of those things. How can I be justified when I'm still ungodly? That's the whole point of being in Christ Jesus. But I still give in to temptation. I still get in the flesh. I still get angry. I still blow it. And we talked about that Sunday. The momentum of our life still pushes us. And we still have the memory. And we still have the habits. And we still have the cravings. These things that drive us and we give into at times. Well, what about those things? I have that memory. Well, that's why you are in Jesus. That's exactly what it's talking about. That's what justification is. You see, you have to trust that God justifies the wicked. That's what Romans 4, 5 says. It's about, however, to the man who does not work but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. God who justifies the wicked? Exactly. Exactly. Now, I am, for one, glad that God justifies the wicked. Because I, I qualify. Anyone else relate? Then do you understand that God has justified you, that you are in Christ, that he does not see your sin, and he does not condemn you? Do you see that? That what he goes on to say... Because through Christ Jesus, verse 2, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Now this is interesting because now he says the law of the spirit of life. And it's the same word law that he uses for the law of sin and death. We know the law of sin and death. It's what we've been born under. It's what he talked about, that Adamic nature that by one man sin entered the world and by... The last Adam, sin has been redeemed. We understand the sin and death. What is the law of the spirit of life? Well, it's Jesus Christ. Because through Jesus Christ, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. One illustration I read talked about it this way. Gravity is a law. The law of gravity keeps us on the ground. The law of gravity will keep a 747 on the ground because I don't know how many tons a 747 weighs, but it weighs a lot. And there ain't no way that 747 is getting off the ground unless there is another law that supersedes the law of gravity. The law of lift, the law of aerodynamics, that supersedes the law of gravity and it allows a plane that weighs a few tons to get off the ground. Well, there is another law, the law that has been given through Jesus Christ of spirit and life that supersedes the law of sin and death that allows us to soar and allows us to live a life free from the law of sin and death. How does that happen? God puts his spirit within us 
and he works within us, changing us from the inside out. But for us to be changed from this law of sin and death, we have to be set free from it. And to be set free from it, you have to know that God is not condemning you. That he justifies the wicked. And he does not hold you responsible, but he has put the responsibility on the person of Jesus Christ. That's what he says in verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by the flesh. The law was weakened by what? Our flesh. Our inability to move forward. We could not complete those things. We were neg negligent in those things. We were deficient in those things. We needed God's help. And so where the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened in the flesh, God did by what? Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering and so he condemned sin in sinful man now who did he condemn sin in it wasn't in himself because in himself there was no sin then whose sin did he condemn he condemned ours God condemned our sin through the person of Jesus Christ. You see, that is what the offering was about, the sin offering. God didn't weaken sin. He didn't say, it's, I, I'll just let it slip by. He says, no, I'll judge sin, but I'll judge it in my son, Jesus Christ, who is your replacement. And because I've dealt with sin, the judgment will not fall on you. It fell on him. And so I don't condemn you because I condemned sin, your sin, in him, even though he was not sin. So the sin that was ours, he took upon himself, and God judged it, and God condemned it, and it's been dealt with. There is no double jeopardy here. You don't go to court again and get tried again for something that God has already judged, that God has already dealt with. We don't have to go back and deal with it. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God has judged it, it is dealt with, and it doesn't fall on you. It fell on Jesus, and it was finished. It was enough. He died once for all, and it is enough to cover you. It is enough to cover me. It is enough for the whole world. Verse 4, it says, In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. Think about what that means. The righteous requirements of the law will be fully met. That word fully means fully. <laughs> it means complete. They are completely met in us. Who's us? We're those who are wicked. We are the sinners. The requirements are met in you. Well, you don't understand, though. I, 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 
I, I failed today. I didn't meet the... No, you didn't meet it. He did. He did it for you. They've been fully met for you. So it's not up to you to meet those things. God has met those things in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now here is where we see the work of God and the transforming work. You see, God is not looking at what you do. He's looking at what you love. He's looking at what you care about. We talked about this with the young adults the last time. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Well, if you're hungry for something, it means you're not satisfied in it. In other words, you don't hunger and thirst for something that you have enough of. And so he doesn't say blessed are those who are righteous. He says blessed are those who are hungering and thirsting to be righteous because they're not. They're the ones that are filled. In other words, God's concerned about the desire, not the action. Because, newsflash, your actions will never be good enough. Never. But what God wants to do is win your desire. What God wants to do is change what you are affectionate for. And so, who are we living for? Are living according to our flesh or according to the spirit? What do you desire and who do you desire to be? Who are you catering to? Who are you investing in? Because if you invest in the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. But if you invest in the spirit, then God is going to change you. And that is the work that God is doing. And to understand that work, we cannot have an axe waiting to fall over us. You can't love someone who you have to fear in that regard. There was a time when Karina and I were, were going through some struggles in our marriage. And the children were small, and she was home with them all day. And they weren't in school, so she didn't get a break. And they were still in diapers, so she didn't get a break. And for those hours, sometimes 10, 12 hours, whatever it was, that I was gone for work, she was juggling life, doing all that she could to survive. And I'd be done with my time of work, and it didn't matter what I was doing. I could be digging trenches, laying pipe. I knew that she had it worse. And though my body might be tired, I know that she was exhausted. And I used to call on my way home and I used to say, Hey, how's it going? Because I wanted to know if the hatchet was going to fall when I got home. 
I needed to know, what am I coming home to? Sometimes I'd come home and she'd have a baby and she'd go, here. And, and then she'd get in the car and she'd go. I'm going shopping. Okay. Does it take four hours to go shopping? But you see, the tension that was in our relationship was based on what was ahead, what was waiting for us. And it was the same way for her. Because if, if I'm coming home thinking, oh man, I don't want to be home. Oh gosh, I'd rather go work another eight hours than have to go home. It affects how you think. If you believe that God is waiting to judge you, it is going to affect how you love him. But if you see God as having his arms open wide saying, I will not condemn you. Because now there is no condemnation. Right now, I have dealt with it. We've been waiting for this time. It is your promise. Right now, there is no condemnation. I see you in Jesus Christ. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Who needs rest? My God, we need rest. When Cynthia had gone through the surgery and they found the cancer was still there and it, the diagnosis wasn't good, I remember going and sitting with her and Vanessa and the kids were running around. And I remember her saying, I just don't think I'm good enough. I don't know if I've done what I, I can. And that fear that we all understand because we all go there at times wondering, well, I just haven't done, I haven't met the requirements, I haven't done what is good enough. And I had to tell her, Cynthia, it's taken care of. Jesus took care of that. You don't have to do another thing. He has given you rest. There is now no condemnation on you. He sees you in Jesus Christ because you desire him. And because you desire him, that is enough. You have put faith in Jesus Christ. And watch what God does if you will trust him. Watch how he takes the wicked and changes them. Watch how he takes Paul, who persecuted the church and makes him a servant of the church. Watch how he can take you, who was one time an enemy, and make you now an ambassador for Jesus Christ, a representative. Are you great? Are you perfect? No. Are you still wicked? Yes. Do you still have this flesh? Yes. Do you still stumble and fall? Yes. Paul just went over last chapter. Why do I do the things I don't want to do? And that's what I don't want to do. And that's what I do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. But what I do want to do, I find myself not doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin? I thank God through Jesus Christ. Now, there is no condemnation. I don't have to worry about the judgment of God if I am in Christ Jesus, period. It is done. It is finished. It is complete on our behalf. 
and this sets us free. It, it sets us free in our lives. It sets us free from the condemnation of physical pain. We kind of touched on this. You know, when you're suffering physical pain and it lasts, it seems forever and it gets worse instead of better. And people might say, well, if you were right with God, you know, maybe this would go away. You are not under God's condemnation. And it doesn't matter if you suffer for 80 years. If you are not under God's condemnation, you will live eternity with him. That's what you need to know. And when you deal with that pain, you could say, I am not under God's condemnation. There is no condemnation. I don't have to worry about my judgment with God. It's been taken care of. And so instead of worrying, am I good enough? Am I going to make it to heaven? You can say there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I am in Christ Jesus. What about condemnation in marriage? Maybe you're feeling disappointed or you've been wronged in your marriage. Where are you going to find the, the power to forgive and keep on loving and hoping and not resort to returning evil for evil and condemning? Romans 8.1 There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 4 verses 30 and 32 says, And did... Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. How can you deal with that husband, that wife, who, who you just feel like, oh, they've, they're just, I've been betrayed, I've been hurt, I've been wronged. There is no condemnation on you. You don't give condemnation to them. Forgive even as Christ has forgiven you. What about condemnation as parents? Any parent feel they did a good job? Besides my mom. <laughs> Each one of us knows where we've fallen short. And sometimes it haunts us and we feel that we are to blame for the errors that we see in our kids and it condemns us. It's like a weight on our back. What are you going to do if your children break your heart? And you feel it's your fault. How are you ever going to get out of that only God can help you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In the end, you don't have to sort that out. Your standing with God does not hang on your figuring out which part was your fault, which part was their fault. Were you to blame here? Were they to blame there? There is not a condemnation on you. God does not condemn you regarding your children. Parents, you need to understand that. You need to know that. Because you were not good enough. But God doesn't condemn you. And God is at work within them as well. And he can take our shortcomings and bring them right. We'll get to that in verse 28. 
What about ministry? And your service to God? How do you go through without that? Because, gosh, I think of things I've said, things I've done, and I think, oh my gosh, that wasn't good. I didn't represent God in a good way at that time. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus has dealt with it. I don't have to. Because through Jesus Christ, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be the sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You need to know that right now there is not condemnation on you. If you are in Jesus Christ and your desire is Him, God does not condemn you. And if you live in condemnation, then you are hindering the work of God in your life. Because to move freely and to love freely, you cannot have condemnation resting on your shoulders. If Corrine believed that I condemned her, that I had bitterness and just constantly was thinking that way towards her, what would it do to our relationship? It would destroy it. That's what we do in our relationship with God if we hold on to condemnation. We say, Jesus didn't do enough. I have to do more. It's up to me. And we nullify what God has done. And we hinder ourselves, we paralyze ourselves into this place where all we focus on is ourselves. God doesn't see you in that way. He sees you in Christ Jesus. Important that we see this. Important that we understand this. Let's pray. God, this is such an important truth and one that I don't feel adequate enough to present but your Holy Spirit is able to bring it home Lord it, it is here for us to read and it is there for us to understand God you do not condemn us that because of Jesus and our faith in him we are free from the requirements of the law and that you have given us the law of the spirit and of life that will help us to rise above the law of sin and death. And what you require of us, God, is that we desire you. That we live according to the spirit and not to the flesh. That we desire to honor you.
and not live for ourselves. And Father, even when we stumble and are wicked, you don't care about the actions as much as you care about the heart. Oh, we will reap what we sow, we deal with those things, but you do not condemn us. We can come to you any time and say, Dad, I blew it. Dad, I'm sorry. Dad, change me, work in me. And you will pick us up, you will dust us off, and you will send us off in the right direction. Lord, may we grasp hold of this. May we embrace it with our lives. May we allow you to work in us in spite of our weaknesses. May we see things clearly and recognize how you see us. Lord, I pray you bring this truth in, to bear in each of our lives. I ask it in Jesus' name.